This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is homecoming week in Happy Valley. We're here to bring you the latest uh, from Penn State football and on the recruiting trail. Welcome in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you on a Thursday afternoon recording session. And we're going to break down this matchup against, uh, as we said last episode, a very hobbled Boilermakers squad missing key playmakers, including one of the best players across the country. And uh, certainly you'll hear our predictions. We'll give those to you. But the injuries have made major ramifications on the outlook of this game uh, in Las Vegas on this podcast and really the conversation leading up to it as Penn State embarks on a very challenging October. Uh, Sean, bringing you in. We got a commitment to look forward to as well on Friday. We'll talk about some recruiting stuff uh, later on as well in the show. But um, happy homecoming to you as, as an alumni of this university and uh, a noon kickoff in Beaver State. Thanks. I don't know if you can see. I'm wearing my my uh, one of the few pieces of Penn State gear that I have Homer. is my Penn State Intramural Championship T-shirt. Um, oh, never mind. So okay, just pulled that out of the uh, pulled that out of the drawer before we went on here. Um, one thing about today's show, uh, we're not talking chains, we're not talking shoe color, and we're not talking running back rotation. So I just wanted to set that precedent right now. Uh, we're going to talk Purdue. We're going to talk Penn State. We're going to talk recruiting. But those three things I think have been talked about enough, so they're they're kind of off the table. Can we talk a lot about HBO? No, I don't, I don't want to do that either. But the, but the camera crew was all over the place <laughs> following these guys around, uh, and, and that'll be premiering on next Wednesday. So, But, yeah, that, that, those uh, I won't repeat what you said, but there have been some interesting storylines leading up to this one that don't have much to do with Penn State football, uh, but have, interestingly enough, evoked a lot of emotions from, from certain folks. Um, let's get right into it with Purdue, um, and you have a great note here. I'll, I'll let you use this pun on your own. No, I I was setting you up to call them injured uh, instead of Purdue, but yeah, they're 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 on some tough times right now for the injury bug. Of course, we talked about this a little bit earlier this week. Quarterback Elijah Sindelar, uh, he's not going to play the rest of the season, and Rondale Moore, their standout uh, everything guy. There, he's slot receiver, but man, he's a fantastic player and. Uh, James Franklin said that he's he, he doesn't want to miss him out on the field, but I'm sure he'll be okay uh, with him not playing this week. I was looking forward to seeing him selfishly. He's a heck of a player, but we'll start with Sindelar. Going to replace him with Jack Plummer, number 13, the quarterback. Plummer, 23 of 41 for 245 and two touchdowns last week against Minnesota. Overall, he's about 50% completion percentage. He's got four picks and 70 passes. So uh, this is a kid who maybe with some experience will get better, but this is a, a tall order for him to come into Penn State and try to uh, get this passing game going because I think he's going to throw it a lot on Saturday. Yeah, a couple of interceptions from Plummer in each of the last couple games. And, and just to note here, he has starting experience. He was the first-team quarterback for them 
uh, a couple weeks ago when TCU came to Purdue, and, and that's because Sindelar was dealing with con- concussion situation uh, at that point. So as you said, he has accrued a significant amount of passes. This isn't uh, well significant for a redshirt freshman who's just thrust into action, but th- this will be his first road start, and as you mentioned, uh, quite the task to, to have to head to Happy Valley in these circumstances without your number one weapon. And you think about Rondell Moore and his importance to pe- uh, Purdue. He's number one, number two, and number three probably on the pecking order of what they need to get them going offensively. Um, when it comes to to Jack Plummer, again, we don't have a lot of track record on this kid, but I can tell you, speaking with John Reed on Wednesday, uh, Reed's biggest takeaway with Plummer was that he's not going to be afraid to throw the ball, uh, take his shots on some 50-50 passes. He said it'll be up to those cornerbacks to come down with those 50-50 balls, but they really feel defensively, uh, although this kid is, is is light on experience and isn't their starting quarterback in normal circumstances they think he's going to come out and challenge them and what else does what other options does Purdue have really Sean first in the Big Ten in passing yards last in the Big Ten in rushing yards this is how they're put together offensively they want to drive the ball downfield uh, but it's going to be a very tough task being shorthanded in this situation yeah, he can throw some of those balls up there and, and he can take some chances. And, and given his age and everything, I don't think it's um, you know really an issue. Brom knows that he's going to le- have to learn on the job and deal with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, you don't have Rondale Moore out there. Moore's got 29 catches this year, which matches the total of their number two and number three receivers, Ahmad Anderson, a kid from Staten Island, and David Bell, who Penn State fans, or at least fans of this podcast, know very well. So yeah, I mean, it's it's really a, a tough uh, a tough sell for this kid to come in here and try and light it up. I, now they do have they do have chunk play potential. I mean, they can get the ball to those guys and they can make some things happen. I you know I love David Bell as a prospect. Ahmad Anderson, you know, is kind of here uh, here and there. He came to camp at Penn State a couple of times. Actually, the best one of the best photos I've ever taken was a, him of a diving catch at camp. But that's uh, not really going to help him this weekend. Uh, the I mean, it's going to be uh, uh, I guess. Uh, uh, a, a, I guess I don't, I'm probably going to cut this part out, but uh, it's going to be a, a tough matchup for Tariq uh, Castro Fields and John Reed. Uh, Penn State will have its hands full on the outside, but other than that, really not a ton of threat from this Purdue offense. The last few weeks, a, a big conversation that you and I have had on this podcast has been, can you shut down the opposing run game and, and put it on their quarterback to, to go make plays? Um, they accomplished that really. I mean, I, I know people pointed to Buffalo and the first downs and moving the chains, but I think Buffalo was limited to what about three and a half yards per carry for the most part, and they ran the ball a lot. Um, Pitt was about a yard a carry, and then last week we know Anthony McFarland wasn't much of a factor, and he was certainly viewed as the the prominent figure in their offensive attack. In each case, you know, Kenny Pickett came up with some plays, but and Buffalo's QB had some moments, but I think it's worked out well for Penn State, especially in the second half of these games, and the quarterbacks haven't been able to really help their counterparts. And, and you know, again, we don't know much about Plummer, but this is a game where you kind of flip that and say, if you're able to really disrupt their passing game and get them off the field quickly, you're going to be able to set up a lot of shots for your offense. And Purdue just doesn't seem like the team that is capable uh, maybe willing to establish that run. I don't think this is the game for them to do that. Penn State's allowing 68 rushing yards on the season. That's top 10 among FBS programs. And I think Purdue is averaging about 68 rushing yards on the year. And, and Rondell Moore, I mean, tw- 2,200 all-purpose yards last year, won the Paul Hornig Award as the most diverse, uh, versatile player in college football. And, and you know they incorporate him in a lot of ways, and he forces you to account for many things. 
with him out of the equation, uh, I feel like it's a lot more cut and dried on, on what Penn State needs to focus on defensively. I will say, you know, put up the piece on, on Wednesday night, uh, writing about David Bell and, and how Penn State pursued him quite persistently in the last recruiting cycle. And I th- may have mentioned this in the last podcast, but um, Franklin thinks very highly of him, compared him to a couple of recent Penn State stars at the position and Deshaun Hamilton and Chris Godwin about uh, the way he handles himself out there at receiver. I do think he'll have some moments. He'll get some chances. But um, this game to me for Penn State's defense feels ripe for the picking for turnover time because of the way Purdue's going to want to put the ball in the air. And <laughs> Penn State has shown defensively they can clamp down a bit. And, and, and for a one-dimensional offense, unless they shake things up in the last few weeks they've gone back to the drawing board uh, in the aftermath of these injuries just really really difficult not to love the matchup for the Penn State defense um, assuming they can you know, keep a lid uh, on the back of, of that defense because you know Purdue will take their shots why wouldn't they um, just seems like it's going to set up for a lot of quick possessions for for the Boilermakers yeah, Purdue's uh, running game was probably the worst that Penn State's seen so far among the, the FBS opponents. 2.6 yards per carry as a team. Now King DeRue, who was a freshman from Texas, got moving last week against Minnesota, went for 94 yards. He's leading Minnesota with 3.5 yards per carry. That's that's for everyone. I mean, usually you look down the stats and see maybe a, a backup busted something uh, against a team, you know, an FCS team early in the season or something like that. And that's just not the case. I mean, 3.5 yards per carry is tops among the team. It's really fascinating when you look at it. But uh, anyway, uh, they, they're they not going to get much going on the ground. They've got a redshirt freshman at right tackle that's going to, you know, obviously have a, a tough matchup, whoever he's matched up against on the Penn State side of the wall. But yeah, I can see a situation like Pitt a couple of weeks ago where they just completely shut down um, this game. And then, of course, it comes back to the pass rush. It comes back to... You know, Purdue trying to get the ball out to, to Bell and Anderson and a couple of these other guys. Uh, Bryson Hopkins is a, t- a tight end that has three touchdowns this year. So they, that's basically what's going to come down. I think you're going to see a lot of short stuff, a lot of receiver screens, and, you know, maybe trying to get uh, to trying to break one loose. Penn State has been very, very good on the edge in terms of forcing guys out and tackling. Um, so, I mean, it's it, it's really a matchup that favors Penn State greatly. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And, and, and the way this Penn State team has been able to disrupt the backfield, I know the sack numbers, uh, I think the term Franklin may have used was sexy. They're not quite sexy yet at this stage of the season. They got four against Maryland. Uh, but this is a team that, that is, I think, averaging nearly 10 tackles for a loss p- per game. Uh, that We know the athleticism they have on the defensive front. It's very difficult for many teams to match up with. And, and Purdue's offensive line, I think, uh, they know they're going to need to get the ball out fast. Uh, I mean, we saw Pitt kind of take that tactic and getting the ball out of Pickett's hands as, as quickly as possible. Uh, Buffalo did that very often. And Brom actually noted this week when he was talking about David Bell, um, he said, you know, He's going to have to be able to, to get that ball quick because we don't we're not going to have time to really throw it downfield. Um, so it will be interesting to see how they adjust. And by the way, they're not just missing um, you know more here, and he's obviously the big one. But on offense, they're missing another receiver, Jared uh, Sparks, who Brom says will probably be out. He started nine games last year. He had a fifty yard touchdown reception in their week two win over Vanderbilt. So. Uh, there's another name to, to potentially cross off the list, assuming uh, his projection looks the same in, in terms of his health. Yeah, I think that pass rush, I, I'm not sure the numbers that they can put up because they will get the ball out. But as this game goes on and if Purdue is trailing like we think they're going to be trailing, then that's that's a number that can go up. Penn State right now, eighth in the country in sacks per game. Obviously, I think that's a little inflated by the Idaho total. But still, I think it's it's one of those things that's going to come along as the ball really gets closer, I mean, you're playing your Iowas, 
excuse me, you're going to play your Michigans, you're going to play, uh, you know, teams that are a little bit more traditional on offense. I think those numbers can continue to come along. And if you can't tell out there, listening audience, uh, the weather has shifted here in Happy Valley, and and, and so is our ability to speak uh, between Sean and I. 30 degrees (laughs) in the last day. And And of course, it's been a day and a half since we were, or two days since we recorded, and we're just falling all over ourselves right here. (laughs) I think both of us have, I think you got my cold, and it's been, it's been fun. You got your kids cold, and yeah, it goes on and on. Defensively, Purdue is also kind of a walking wounded situation. They have not had Lorenzo Neal for the entire season. And yes, he is the son of a great, and I mean great, NFL fullback Lorenzo Neal, who spent a lot of time with a lot of teams. Uh, He was counted on to be one of their more productive players on either side of the football this year. Offseason surgery has not returned to action yet. Um, He's missing. And then a big one here, as you noted, Marcus Bailey, uh, 300 plus career tackles, season ending knee injury in September. He's out of the equation now for them, and he is one of three captains, Sean, that they are going to be missing in this game at Beaver Stadium. It's not just the bodies on the field. It's it's the leadership. It's, it's the accountability. The kind of guys they're missing here are the kind of guys that you just absolutely need to put together the pieces of a foundation for any kind of upset threat in this situation, as I said. And, and, and maybe we're going to listen back to this and be like, wow, we really sold Purdue short. But well, we still got predictions to get to. So before before I go too far down that road, we are going to sell Purdue pretty short. Marcus Bailey is uh, he's an NFL player. He's a kid that's uh, really uh, just a talented, really uh, phenomenal guy that can go all over the place at linebacker. Can do a lot of things out there. He's played in just two games. He's still eighth on the team in tackles and fourth in tackle for loss. So tells you what kind of impact he could have had on this game. I think their middle linebacker is the son of the defensive coordinator. But uh, along that defense, there's not a ton of names that really stick out. George Karloftis is really, really good. He's going to be, he's going to have a heck of a career at Purdue. He's a former five-star, true freshman. He's come in, he's done a lot of things for him. I think he's five tackles for loss so far this year. Um, So he can really make an impact there. But across the board, it's a defense that's given up 32.5 points per game uh, to not especially great competition so far. So I think Penn State's going to have an opportunity if they execute to, to get things done. And one last note with this defense, they've got three points off of turnovers this year. They just have two interceptions through four games. Minnesota, or excuse me, uh, Purdue minus eight in turnovers this year. And at this point, Penn State's offense have turned the ball over twice. You know, Sean Clifford th- threw that interception uh, la- last week, and, and then you had Ricky Slate put the ball on the ground week two. And so they've been, uh, you know, very, very protective of the football. And so that that kind of meshes to, to create issues for Purdue, on paper at least. And you mentioned Karloftis. You know, they did just sign a top 25 recruiting class. It was a, a big year for them. Brom got the extension. You know, this was a game that expectations were much different uh, in August when we looked ahead to it. And, and, and now matters have become worse for the Boilermakers and and you know when you only have one big recruiting class and you don't have three or four stocked up then it becomes tougher to go down that depth chart and feel good about your what you're putting on the football field Purdue facing that task you mentioned Karloftis David Bell those two guys are are among the top five recruits signed by Purdue this century when you look at the uh, composite rankings that span back to 2000 on 24-7 sports Um, so again a a lot of these matchups point heavily in favor of Penn State Uh, the Nittany Lions again 4-0 come into this game outscoring opponents I I believe the total Sean was 220 to 30 uh, which which is really just a that's a it's really impressive Uh, and I think you know you kind of look back at at some of the you know some some moments that didn't look pretty and much of that pig game and 
But you look at kind of the quality of work they've put together cumulatively from the first four games. I think you got to feel really good about where this Penn State team is at right now. Uh, we mentioned before being able to, to shake off the, the highs of, of that Maryland win and go into this week. Um, not sensing that really being an issue based on what we saw in limited sample size in the practice field yesterday. Guys seem, guys seem sharp out there. Um, Franklin seems pleased with the approach. So uh, we'll find out ahead. But from Penn State's perspective, offensively, one thing we'll be keeping an eye on here, Sean, is, is the wide receiver spot. Um, it's been, you know, primarily uh, KJ Handler, Jahan Dotson getting uh, the bulk of those targets. Justin Shorter ha- has been starting. Uh, but in this game, I-, I think we'll be looking uh, towards some new faces, towards some veterans who have a chance to step up and potentially even some, some you know, outright true freshmen. Yeah, we saw um, this, uh, on practice at Wednesday night, we saw a bunch of receivers going through there. And of course, I mean, you saw what happened to Justin Shorter last weekend, and obviously you're probably not looking forward to seeing him. Camp Sullivan Brown went out as well. Um, but you've got guys like Dan Jacena moving over and playing the X. Of course, you're going to see a bunch of Hamler and Dotson. Wouldn't be surprised to see a bunch of Hamler, Dotson, um, Pat Fryermuth, and Nick Bowers in some 12 personnel this week. Maybe some two running back sets and things like that. But you're going to see Chisena, maybe see a little bit more Weston Carr. Uh, Mac Hippenhammer might have a chance to to sort of redeem himself after the start that he's had to the season. So I wouldn't be shocked to see a bunch of different guys play. And then um, to add to that, John Dunmore was pulled over to the varsity field last night. So wouldn't be wouldn't be shocked to see him get an opportunity to get out there, especially when they're a little bit more thin at numbers, to get out there, to get some experience. And like we I said on the uh, show Earlier this week, I think it was, get your your Florida kids a chance to see that they're out there playing right away as uh, as true freshmen for Penn State. Yes, there are layers to this, and, and, and I think another opportunity you're looking for if this game goes in the right direction, and if you look at the point spread and, and what you're going to hear from our predictions, it should go in this direction. Uh, is Will Levis, another opportunity for him to play. I think when you kind of look at the next stretch of the schedule, ideally you will not see Will Levis on the field. I think we're anticipating close contests, uh, you know, at least the next three games as we look ahead, and you're thinking Sean Clifford will be the guy all the way. But, again, as he can accrue those reps and and, and take some hits and dish some out on his own, um, I think that's going to be beneficial. By the way, Will Levis told us uh, this week uh, that he beat Micah Parsons to the punch with that Thor uh, slam of, of the hammer there uh, in the end, in the end zone. Apparently, uh, he brought it up in the locker room. Micah Parsons heard it and told him he intended to steal it when he reached the end zone. Micah's still searching for his first career touchdown. Uh, Will Levis was able to do it on national TV. So I guess we'll see what Parsons have has in store when he gets his opportunity. Well, you had some interesting stuff today when you talked to Joe Lorig uh, on the conference call. I mean, Mike Parsons may have that opportunity sooner rather than later. Yeah, don't close the door on Micah Parsons as a potential kick returner just yet. I, I mean, something I've kind of been thinking about the last few weeks. As the season goes on, a lot of the offseason storylines, you start to put them to the side, and that's one of them. And we spoke with Lorig on Thursday morning, and you know, he, he said, you know, him and Franklin are continuing to have conversations about not just putting Parsons back deep on kick return, but even maybe utilizing him occasionally uh, as a primary kick returner. Now they do fully intend to have KJ Hamler moving forward as the kick returner, as the punt returner, maximizing his opportunities to touch the ball. I, I, it's no secret that that 
that is one part of the special teams, uh, you know, collectively that you want to see Penn State take a step forward in is the return game, especially with a guy like Hamler back there. Uh, but Micah Parsons, you know, may be involved back there. And speaking of Hamler, we had a chance to catch up with him after practice on Wednesday. Uh, always an interesting conversation with KJ, and that goes back to his recruiting days. A guy who is, is not really going to beat around the bush with, with his answers. Uh, and it, it was interesting here. I mean, the first off, he said he thought his Maryland game was average. He said he was not impressed by it at all. And when he was asked what he would consider a big game, because he said the Maryland game was not a big game for him. Of course, his touchdown, a 58-yarder in the first quarter, went viral on social media. Everyone was talking about it. Um, he says 300 receiving yards to him is a big game. Uh, for context, in the last six years, there's been three 300-yard receiving game. So that would be quite defeat. Uh, the other thing here is, uh, you know, with, with KJ, I, I think he's a guy that you want to continue to get those touches to. And Franklin was asked, you know, hey, he's at, um, you know, he's. I think he's got seven more touches at this point through four games than he did last year. And, Fra you know, Franklin kept hammering it home more, more, more. I think he said more three or four times in a row there. And then he said, He'd be he'd be pleased if they get KJ thirty catches a game. So um, again, this is probably a matchup where you would like to see KJ celebrating on the sideline for maybe the last 20, 25 minutes of this contest. If you can pull that off, have him healthy, fresh legs. But yeah, I'd imagine they're going to be working the ball to Hamler as much as possible again, and he continues to show why he's averaging Sean uh, just under twenty one yards per offensive touch this season. Yeah, it's pretty pretty remarkable. And and when you think about how they've gotten him the ball, that was one of the the criticisms late last year. Is you know he kind of hit that wall and fell off a little bit. And this year, you see him getting the ball closer to the line of scrimmage, letting him do some things with it. Even if not every play turns into a you know a fifty yard gain, you know you still have to account for him on on every play. Saw the first touchdown against uh, Maryland. He came in motion. It was funny to watch because he came in motion in a jet sweep motion. And he took two safeties with him. He took his nickel corner with him. He took the Mike linebacker with him. He took the the, the defensive end, the read guy with him. I mean, it was just uh, pretty remarkable to see how much attention he commands. And it's just, uh, you know, it, it's such a big weapon and such a big opportunity for Penn State because not only does he open things up for himself, but he also opens things up for, for some of his teammates. Hamler also added that, you know, like Franklin, he, you know, disappointed, I guess, is the word that they want to use regarding not seeing Rondell Moore on the field. Uh, again, again, I think Franklin could probably sleep better at night knowing that Moore won't be out there in a Purdue uniform. K.J. Hamler, though, he was con kind of anticipating what he called the battle of the slots, and he said he did reach out to Rondell Moore once he heard about the injury news earlier this week and, and, told, uh, and told him, you know, hey, he'll be praying for him, and he wishes he was out there. So it's nice to see that kind of sportsmanship among elite players and, and two of the best, and not just the Big Ten, but across the country, uh, guys who can do it on every play. One more note from that conversation with Joe Lorig. Um, I had asked him about the, the, the way they kind of handled the kicking situation with Jake Pinnegar and, and Jordan Stout when it came to, you know, Stout handling 50-plus, Pinnegar handing, handling everything closer to the end zone. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's gone really well for them. It's something that became obvious that, that it was the route they wanted to take over the course of training camp. And they documented every kick that Stout made since he got to campus. And obviously, uh, Pinnegar had things he needed to work on after his freshman year with a different special teams coordinator. But 
the results have been great. I mean, Stout missed that uh, his third 50-plus yard attempt, made the first couple 50-yarders, the big uh, record setter uh, against Pitt that was just huge, but he missed one at Maryland. It was his first miss. But I think Pinnaker has been lost a little bit. We love to talk about uh, Stout here on the show, and, and I think our listeners love to hear about him, but Pinnaker has not missed any kick this year. He hasn't missed a field goal. He hasn't missed an extra point, and uh, I think that's that's worth talking about because there's not a lot of college football programs who have a tandem like this and that can buy you a win in in the grand scheme of things. And uh, I think Penn State's hit a home run in the way they've handled special teams. And the one spot you do look at, K.J. Handler, that kick returner situation, uh, punt returns. When, when are you going to see someone get loose? I feel like it's just a ticking time bomb. It's a matter of time when that will happen. One other kind of interesting note here from Lori, a bit funny when you think about it. He says he just hopes that the, the special teams, and this is his job, that he hopes the special teams unit and, and kickoff coverage doesn't get complacent and all of a sudden look up and see a guy with the football in his hand running full steam and say, oh, crap, I guess Jordan didn't boot this one because he said you do kind of fall into that rhythm where – uh, you just eliminate the possibility of a kick return. So he says you got to stay sharp, even though Jordan usually doesn't make it an issue. So uh, we're going to get into our predictions and recruiting and all that in just a bit. Uh, but first, let's take a quick commercial break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. And we're back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. It's been brought to my attention. Saquon Barkley out four to six weeks with the high ankle sprain is bouncing around at practice like a superhuman monster. It's incredible. And uh, it's going to really help you out in fantasy if he gets back sooner than rather. It's just, I just opened it on my phone. I'm just sitting here laughing because I'd probably still be on crutches if I had a high ankle sprain two weeks ago or whatever it was. I'd still be in bed. And, and by the way, how did you know I just pulled off a three-for-one trade to get Barkley? Uh, in, in my in my top fantasy league, yeah, yep. I'm not going to get too far into it because no one cares about other people's fantasy teams. Uh, That's but true. The, but the package did include Chris Godwin that I sent there. I, I'm I'm cashing in some chips, cashing in some depth, putting putting Barkley on my bench. And once I saw Saquon bouncing around there. Yeah, he's going to be back ahead of schedule, so I'll, 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 hopefully I'm very pleased with that move. And, and that's our fantasy segment. Uh, then that's our update on the Press Box Punisher squad. Um, Lo- longer than it needed to be. <laughs> We're going to get into predictions now. Uh, I, we, we all have Penn State winning fairly big. Um, I, I sent mine last in to Mark Brennan, and he said I had the, the largest uh, you know difference between the two, which is pretty remarkable. I said 49-6. to six. I, I see Penn State riding this wave that they're on. You know, maybe a little high, maybe a little too high after that Maryland win. But at the same time, I look at this Purdue team. Maybe they score on a chunk play. Maybe they get into field goal range with a with a turnover or something like that. But I just don't see enough from this team to 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 beat Penn State. And Purdue's going to try and get it with the short passing game. And it's so tough to go sideline to sideline against this defense. 
They're so fast. Um, they proved last week they're, they're deep as well. So I can continue to see Penn State's defensive dominance uh, pouring over in this week. Yeah, I've got a, a pretty wide margin too. I'm going 52 to 17 Penn State winning this one and improving to 5 and 0. Um, you know, we've already kind of gone over the logic of it talking about some of uh, what Purdue is missing and, and what Penn State is doing, but I, I know there are a lot of concerns about uh, Penn State maybe coming out and sleepwalking through the first stage of this game. I, I feel like they've got that out of their system. Uh, maybe I'm giving them too much of the benefit of the doubt, but uh, you know, they they've gone through those those circumstances earlier in September where they didn't come out fired up and they had to make make up for it after halftime. I see Penn State scoring three touchdowns, you know, by the early stage of the second quarter. I don't know what Purdue will do. Uh, I, I'm giving them 17 points here in the prediction, and that probably is more than what many people are going to do. But um, I could see a garbage town touchdown, a garbage time touchdown for Purdue, and, and maybe it being 52 to 10 late in the game. But uh, ultimately, I, I think you're going to see a field day for Penn State's offensive attack, and that starts with Sean Clifford, and uh, that will be really impressive momentum to, for him to carry into what will be. Uh, just a, a really tremendous test for a young quarterback and what they've got ahead in October. Uh, so I, I think they'll accomplish it. And that's 52 to 17 may not be as big as your margin, but that's still a blowout. I think plenty of Nittany Lions fans will be pleased with. Yeah, you've got them scoring more points than I do, actually. But uh, that defense, man, it's, it's going to be tough. You mentioned last week against Maryland, that game had snowball pretend, potential. And obviously, that's sort of something that came through. I could see it again this week. You know, if Penn State executes and, and rides its momentum that, uh, that it picked up last week and, and could get early in this game, I really don't see that there's much stopping uh, Penn State in that one. Tough to see Purdue scoring a bunch. They could hit a chunk player here there with, uh, with maybe David Bell uh, or Ahmad Anderson. But uh, it's going to be... It's going to be tough for them to uh, to get anything going, at least consistently. I like Ricky Slade in this game. Um, again, we're not talking running back rotation, but I think Ricky, watching the tape of uh, of them against Maryland, was was very close to to sort of getting where he needs to be and breaking out. So I could see him maybe winding up in the end zone, maybe having a big day. Would like to see that running game continue to uh, to progress. And of course, you want to see Sean Clifford, who looked really sharp at practice on Wednesday night. You want to see him you know, continue to make the, the strides that he's been making in the last couple of weeks. Well, since you want to dive headfirst into the running back rotation, I'll throw my hat in and I'll say we're going to see a very special play from Devin Ford. I don't know if it'll be another 81-yard touchdown run, but I think we're going to see him him come up with, with some kind of long-distance touchdown or a catch-and-run where he jukes some guys and, and, and reminds people of, of his talents as well. It seems like these guys take turns. All right, we're done with the running backs now. Mark has Purdue winning, right? Is that is that how that worked out for, in the predictions? Sure, why not? No, Mark's got 45-14 from Mark Brennan. Uh, Penn State taking this one as well. Um, moving ahead, Sean. Recruiting going on Friday. We've talked about this. We previewed it a bit on the last episode. Um, Keandre Lambert, one of the top remaining targets for Penn State in the 2020 recruiting class out of Maury High School in Norfolk, a guy who has really been impressive this year. 600 all-purpose yards, 11 touchdowns in four games. I don't think he's been needed for the second half of some of those games from Maury. And the Penn State is in control of the crystal ball right now. Virginia Tech, their collapse as a program has really helped the Nittany Lions case. And we've talked about it before. This would be a major addition and a guy you would put at or near the top of this class if you're going to kind of power rank the commits. Yeah, he took it easy on uh, Virginia Tech there with the, the wording. 
But, uh, yeah, I mean, Keandre Lambert, I think, may be the top offensive player in this class. If he does come on board with Penn State, he's set to announce uh, mid-afternoon, probably around 2 o'clock. Uh, we'll get a, a little bit more detail on that uh, later today. But, uh, yeah, it's, if Penn State were to continue, and the crystal ball seems to think that they will, um, that's uh, that's a big pickup for Penn State. He's an incredibly skilled kid, very good football player, um, has, has excelled on both sides of the ball as well as special teams. So, I mean, anytime you can add a kid like that to your uh, – to your receiving core, which I think is, is as we see, continues to be good and expanding its depth, then, I mean, you've got a shot to, to, to really take the next step and, and move your way up those rankings. And, you know, people people do look at those. This weekend, uh, another big weekend on the sidelines, for especially for a noon kick, because you don't get a lot of those anymore. A lot of these guys have film in the morning on Saturday or uh, an early morning lift after their Friday night game. But they'll get a chance to, uh, to to get some prospects on campus. I wrote this morning, Nate Bruce from Harrisburg, who we've talked about before. It seems like a matter of time before he's an Nittany Lion. James Franklin and Matt Limegrove are going to go down and see him on Friday night. He's going to come up on Saturday. I mean, say what you will, he's going to come back a bunch uh, a bunch of times before this one's all said and done. Confirmed yesterday, um, an early report that we had, 2022 quarterback Braden Davis is a kid from Delaware, uh, came to camp over the summer. He's got an Alabama offer. He's got some really good offers. Uh, Penn State offered him at camp. So to get him back on campus to uh, to see some things and I think see his first game, I think it's a big opportunity for them to s- sort of set the table on another uh, really good underclassman elite quarterback. Yeah, Davis may have been the best quarterback. I mean, he was up there that we saw on campus this summer, and that's saying a lot for for a kid that young who's played one year of high school football and he's already got the measurements. I think he's about six foot four, 190 pounds plus at this stage, and he's got the pedigree as well. His, his father played in the NFL; he was a, a, a top tier draft pick. Um, so it, it will be you know interesting to see how that recruitment develops. And anytime you can kind of lay that groundwork early, we know that the 2021 quarterback situation is still cloudy for Penn State. And think about how long they've been recruiting some of those guys um so you know a big opportunity to get Braden Davis up here show him what this offense can accomplish uh, show him the position they put a young quarterback and Sean Clifford in in his first year as a starter and just make him feel welcome at Beaver Stadium and, and that's all you can really do with with a kid who's still so far off uh from making any decisions and certainly signing any papers 2022 wide receiver Anthony Ivey we talked about on the show earlier this week because he picked up an offer from Penn State We'll see him up on campus on Saturday. And then you move to the 2021 offensive line. A couple of big ones here. Tristan Lee from Northern Virginia and Jaeger Burton from Kentucky. Um, I assume his name is Jaeger. I'm going to call him Jaeger no matter what. Um, but uh, he's been up for an unofficial visit before. Lee's been on campus before. You start to see some priorities emerging there. You you, you, you know that Nolan Rucci is going to be the top guy along with Landon Tangwall. But you've got Nate Bruce. You've got Tristan Lee. Burton's been up a couple of times. So starting to see how that uh, could could maybe play out. I mean, if you hit on your top targets, which we know is not always the case, especially after following this uh, in the last year, but they've got an opportunity to, uh, to to impress some of these guys. And Tristan Lee is a guy that uh, a lot of uh, programs have really caught on to in the last couple of months. Uh, he, he's been uh, He's been on the camp scene kind of kind of got a basketball background, I believe, and he's uh, got the ability to move um, there. I know you've talked to him before. I've talked to him a little bit, but he's got the ability to move. And really, I mean, 
guys like uh, Rucci and Tangwall, you add Lee to that list. You got uh, tackle options once again in 2021. Yeah, and Lee's been on the move. He's been checking out a lot of campuses, so good for Penn State to get him back and kind of reassess what they've got cooking in Happy Valley. And worth noting here as well, I think he's, uh, because of their proximity, because they competed alongside each other in camps and were some of the top performers there, uh, Tristan Lee has developed a pretty good relationship um, with Landon Tangwall. So, you know, that's notable, I guess. Uh, Landon Tangwall seems to be in a good spot, or Nittany Lions seem in a good spot with him um and, and you know yeah the the possibilities are, are looking pretty good right now it's still a bit of an early stage but um we've talked about tackle and and and, and penn state addressing that in, in this class but you look ahead there are some major major possibilities for them and that includes guys like lee well, you want as many tackles as possible. I mean, you can always move a guy of like uh, like Tengwall into guard or something like that. I mean, even you know, even a, even a guy like Olu Fashanu in this class, you can move into. You know, it's just you've got opportunities for. You'd rather take a tackle and make him a guard than take a guard and make him a tackle. So it's a lot easier to, to to move outside in. Tristan Lee's got just. I mean, you mentioned the basketball background. That's exactly it. He says he thinks the footwork transitions very well for what he does at tackle, but. He's a lean kid. I mean, he looks more like a basketball player than he does look, at least when I saw him this past spring, he, he may have developed a lot this summer and added some pounds, but he still looked more like a basketball forward than he did a, a, a Division One offensive tackle prospect. But we've talked about it before, and, and we you, you look at the analytics and you look at the history of who goes in the NFL, that's kind of what the really good college football tackles look like in high school. They, they're lean, and, and they're, they're the guys who you bring in and build up. And someone like Rasheed Walker is another great example who, I don't know what he was, about 265, 270. Now he's 315, 320, and, and we see what he's capable of doing on his second year on a college campus. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because you look at Penn State's 2020 class, and there's a lot of beef there. I mean, you've got Devin Willick, who's, who's pushing 360, of course, uh, Traore's a big kid, and, and, and you've got Nick Dawkins is you know right around the 300 mark. So be interesting to see if they go in a different direction. I mean, it, it's it's some of it's an outlook. Some of it's Matt Limegrover, the way that he's been able to, uh, you know, just, uh, I guess, fi- find a body type. But it's also about what's out there. I mean, you, you're going to recruit your area. You're going to go from there. You're going get, to get guys like, uh, you know, Rucci's a tall and skinny-ish. Tangwall is just a big kid, a naturally big kid. So it's more about what's what's on the plate for you. Um, this just so happens, uh, and, and I forgot to mention Golden Achumba, who's a big kid as well, who, who was a much bigger kid than he, uh, uh, you know, when, when he committed. Um, but uh, it's it's just very interesting to track the way that Penn State's done this because they've had kind of had success with both. I mean, uh, I like personally the, the 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 skinnier basketball athletic type kids, but I mean, I don't think there's a, a set real answer on that. I think it might be. A little bit over pumped when you talk about the the difference between a kid that comes in at, at 260 and a kid that comes in at 320. And so much of it just comes down to what are they willing to put in during their college exactly. career, yeah. mentally, physically. I mean, it's nice to get that raw material one way or the other, but it's it's about what they're willing to sacrifice and, and what they're willing to give you as a coaching staff over those three, four, five years. Um Plenty of other names may pop up on here, and, and some are already uh, for the guest list for the Purdue game. Uh, our VIP subscribers can keep tabs on that by heading over to the Lions Pride message board. Um, of course, we'll have some reaction from some of these recruits as they head home from our 24-7 sports recruiting team. Um, additionally, uh, recruiting is fun, as you said, and, and there always are some twists and turns. R.J. Adams, uh, who uh, I think it was just about midway through last week, I believe, um, confirmed publicly that he was no longer a member of the 2020 Penn State recruiting class. You reported that, I think, about a week before at least. Um, But he is heading back to Happy Valley, as it turns out. 
Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it just kind of pops up uh, as one of those things. I mean, he, he took the official visit to Kentucky a few weeks ago. I don't think that sat very well. Now, all of a sudden, he's uh, he's looking. I, I hesitate to say that he's looking to get back in, but this is the act of somebody that wants to, that realize what kind of the the, uh, the overall impact of, of the situation that he was in and, and really, you know, the magnitude of where he was. And all of a sudden, you know, he pops back up on campus. Does Penn State have a spot for him? I can't say for sure. I mean, you you look at uh, how things have gone, and the, the numbers are obviously getting a little tighter. You know, if Keandre Lambert comes on board, you, you've got him, and then you've got a you know you got spots for Theo Johnson, you've got spots for a couple of other guys. So I mean, it's uh, it'd be interesting to see how the Penn State staff handles this. Now, it, could, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be surprising if he were back into the fold. They, I mean, they obviously wanted him. They think a lot of him as a guard or as a center, but. Uh, I mean, with with numbers being what they are, I think Penn State, you know, you don't want to put it like this, but Penn State's got all the leverage in this situation. I know, and I always use that term leverage, which sounds ex- extremely shrewd, but recruiting is a shrewd game, especially when you get down to the last few scholarships and, and how you want to implement them. But, you know, put it this way, R.J. Adams is not making this trip uninvited, and, and he's not going to get ignored by the coaches because of how things developed over the past month. Will be interesting to see what happens there. It's a it's a quick turnaround for him to get back there. Usually, when you see guys come, you know, and kind of circle back to a team, I feel like there's more distance um, from when they actually departed the class. But um, recruiting really fails to surprise at this point. So. Keandre Lambert will have full coverage of that on Friday um, on 24-7 Sports, on Lions 24-7. When he commits, if he commits to Penn State, say what it means, the impact and all that and more. Um, and then we'll you know, obviously have you covered for the game on Saturday with the latest. Sean, we've given our predictions. We've given the recruiting thoughts, game thoughts. Um, I know we're both running low on, on capacity to speak through our head colds, but uh, anything else to add before we uh, part ways for now? Uh, big ups to our favorite SID, Chris Peterson. She is now taking the Jeff Nelson role and in charge of strategic communications. She's awesome. She does a great job. I know a lot of people see the name and and, and see the tweets and stuff like that, but she's really great. Uh, other than that, not much to say. Happy homecoming, everybody. Enjoy it. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the uh, 30 degrees cooler than it was earlier this week. But uh, hopefully we see you out there. The tailgate will be fired up early. Dad will be out there probably at 530 or whatever. He's going to get out there and make breakfast. So hope to see you guys uh, stop by. Yeah, kudos to Chris, and it was nice to see James Franklin give her a shout-out as well at the start of the media scrum uh, yesterday. That's going to do it for now. Beyond here, you've got the big three matchups we've been talking about for a while. Iowa, Michigan, Michigan State. The next home game will be the whiteout game. Will the sun be out? We'll find out soon. The sun will be out. Uh, it looks like great football weather this Saturday. Noon kickoff at Purdue. We'll bring you a post-game podcast as we have been doing live from Beaver Stadium. Have that up as soon as possible after the matchup is over. For now, on behalf of Sean Fitz and Tyler Donahue, stepping away from the Lions 24-7 podcast.